Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's la 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 lovely to be uh, able to. Do you think it's uh, important uh, on that really weird interruption of my brain and thought and flow and mind? Um, would you personally like to have a, an opportunity, an option to make your life a musical? Uh, do you think that would be something that you would uh, have fun? Uh, because, you know, the thing with TikTok now, everyone sadly thinks that they can sing or they can, they can um, you know, make up lyrics. or uh, and, and, of course, there are some people who are massive stars and got massive breaks on TikTok or uh, thing. But sadly for every one of those, there are like, you know, the masses who just make these things on Instagram, like copying those dances or copying those things. And, you know, sadly kids do it and then they're rewarded by... Uh, people on their family groups like wow amazing effort amazing talent no it's pretty shit and then you give them false hope uh, that they have a talent which they clearly don't and then they go uh, through life thinking that they're good at something when they really aren't and then you know when they actually are pushed into the world saying go try it out get on this talent show or even in school on a smaller scale they get totally shat on and it's uh yeah they, they're pretty much very quickly realize that they're, they're pretty shit at most things in life. And if that doesn't push you over the edge, um, then... So the point is, it's it's not the kids alone. It's the, 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 the surroundings, the support system that lies to them. Uh, you can be anything you want. No, you can't. You can be very few things and try doing that well or even try doing that decently or at least try working on yourself so you can attempt to do that decently. Don't fucking go lie to these kids saying, oh, you can sing. Anyway, so... Having said that and going down that little path of being a little dark, I think it might be fun just to have it as a laugh. You know, go to, off, go, go to your office or wherever you work, you know, your cubicle. And even if you don't have a good voice or a singing voice, I think that would be more fun than putting up this, this, fi- this fake kind of um, reward system on TikTok or things like awarding likes or rewarding them with likes. Just like, you know, uh, it'll make for good conversation. Like someone walks in and I, I, I don't know uh, other languages, but, you know, like, hello, I've got the presentation for the morning ready. And I'm like, hey, shut the fuck up. You can't sing. At least it started a conversation as opposed to, you know, this conference calls or of your managers like, I think you're going to get Fired. And you're like, oh, I caught you fucking the secretary. It just, doesn't it sound a lot more, a lot less antagonizing as opposed to like, uh, oh, you're going to fire me? Guess what? I've got some footage of you banging the secretary. I'm going to show it to your wife. You know, that just sounds so, ugh. but if you make it musical, I think it's a lot more fun. I think it's a lot more... It diffuses the situation. Oh, the food here is shit and I'm at a dead-end job but I'm doing it because I've taken them too many EMIs and I can't afford to pay them off and everything's on credit and I'm living from paycheck to paycheck under the false illusion that I'm in a job that's keeping me happy and moving me up the cop letter hey let's go hatter and then let's go better yeah you know at least you can lie to yourself more melodically i think uh, i'm also very happy with one thing that i've realized is as i've crossed the 40 
mark uh, the horizon which a lot of people are like it's bleak oh there's no returning after you cross 40 everything your punch gets bigger your dick gets smaller your ego uh, gets bigger your your reality you you face your midlife whatever shit they throw it's been fun it's been a few months but it's been fun but one thing i'm uh, keen on doing as i go forward in my 40s because one thing i realized is that my name on my passport was very different from the name I was going by. I mean, it's not like, oh, my name was Fred or anything like in the passport, but my name is Sandeep. But in my passport, my parents put my first name. And this is, I say my parents, I could have changed it, but it's easy to blame someone. As Thumbe Sandeep, Thumbe is my family name. That's the, the village uh, or whatever, the, the area where my father's side of the family came from. And because we live in a patriarchy which dominates and completely ruins the opportunities of women, I've taken my patriarchal family name. Um, yeah. So, my name on the passport is Tumbe Sandeep. And of course, you can have a laugh or call it whatever you want. Tumbi, Tumbi. Yeah. Uh, but um, Tumbe is uh, what it is. And Tumbe Sandeep. But I think it adds a little more gravitas having three names, right? Tumbe Sandeep Rao. Now, if I ever take up the thing of becoming an author, which I might be very shortly. I don't think so. But who knows? I think Tumbe Sandeep Rao. It's a little funny for stand-up. Like, oh, welcome on stage. Tumbe Sandeep Rao. They're like, what the fuck? He sounds like a farmer. But... I think in certain in certain fields, uh, nothing wrong before before anyone gets fucking cheesed off. Farmers are good; they give us the food that we eat, or at least they sell it to the people who exploit them, and then they sell it to us for an inflated price, and we get like a lot of stuff that's been through rats and been through other kinds of warehouse where people piss on them. It's really nutritious. Um, I think three names, even in stand up. If I go back, or when I do go back on stage, I think I'm going to go back as Tumbe Sandeep Rao. It's uh, going to completely. Um, you know, undermine everything I've built on social media. The five people who follow me are going to be confused because I thought, you're Soapy Rao, the Soapy Rao show. Yeah, but that's different. Uh, Soapy Rao still stands. The Soapy Rao show still stands. But Tumbe Sandeep Rao, wouldn't that be cool? Mr. Tumbe Sandeep, ah, Rao. Uh, I, just, I, I just feel if you get an opportunity, have a third name, introduce it in some way. If you don't have a third name in your name, then I think you should just make up something. Like if your name is like Alka or your name is like, you know, uh, Juhi or your name is like, you know, um, Varun, you should just add something. And I think take it up. Because I think a lot of people now, like my, my daughter has a middle name, which is not a family name. It's nothing to do with that. It's just a name that we have given her, which I think she will like. It's an option. Of course, I can't go around as Tumbe because some my uncles have done that in the past and that will completely be overshadowing my street cred. I don't want to take that away. I don't want anyone who's walked in my stride before. But I think Tumbe Sandeep Rao, that's what I'm going to be going forward as. And if you ever meet me on the streets, you're like, hey, Tumbe Sandeep Rao. And yeah. TSR for short. I think they are. It's always good because if if you make a TSR, then the options are much more. The Sandeep Rao, like he's only the Sandeep Rao. Yeah, or totally Sandeep Rao. Or mm, take that Sandeep Rao. That's TTSR. Uh, TSR also, if you're into golf, happens to be a driver by Titleist. Uh, or sorry, a, a range of clubs by Titleist or a range of woods and fairway woods and hybrids and drivers if you're into that kind of thing. So uh, maybe then, you know, I'll become a really good golfer soon and then the TSR range is obviously my range which Titleist never knew but they ended up making a line for the Sandeep Rao just saying uh, anyway before I go into a delusional rant and a false imagination world building exercise of I'm the shit and I'm all need to worship me I'm going to talk about my guest today because she is uh, someone who does powerful things using words she's a copywriter who helps people uh, come up with stories whether it's their organizations their small companies their big companies whether it's their brand whether it's their personal journey their business journey and um 
Her name is Martha Bernard Ray. She also is a co-host of the podcast, The One That Works For You, a podcast where, well, her co-host and her talk about how to live the life that works for you. Hey, that has a ring to it. Uh, Martha and I had a lovely conversation. I ended up, in fact, getting on their podcast as well. So that episode might be coming out soon where you can listen to me on the receiving end. That sounded so wrong. But on the end where I receive questions from Martha and... I think I know. Yeah. What's her name? Is it Fee? No. What's mm. Liv. That's her name. So Martha and Liv hosted me on their podcast, the one that works for you. So uh, I really apologize for that delay in remembering your name, Liv, if you're listening. But anyhow, Martha and I had a fun conversation about many things, um, uh, to name a few, about writing, about the power of words, about how... Um, the whole landscape is changing with ChatGPT. What does that look like for writers, for copywriters, for poets, or the people in the language, wordsmith, the, the trade? And Martha also has a story about her diagnosis with ADHD and how she helps people make sense of that and how to navigate a world where it seems that attention and the attention economy is a huge one and everyone's trying to get your attention. How do you live life with ADHD in today's world. Uh, just to name a few things, and there's a lot more that you will enjoy in this conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Martha Barna Dre. And for you listening, I appreciate it as always. Till next week, goodbye, God bless, take care of yourselves, work on that third name. Cheers. Martha Bana Dre, lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it is really good to talk to a copywriter, even though that was my role in the past. But uh, I want to understand from you, when someone looks at a copywriter, it's typically in the, the, the space of advertising or marketing or branding. Uh, but there is, I feel personally that there's a lot more to it because when you are providing copy for something, it is such a important choice of words and more importantly, understanding the idea that you are writing the copy for. And as a result, it's about communication. It's about influence of those words on the mindset of the listener, the viewer, the reader, who, whoever they may be. And it's, it's, it's a really powerful tool of telling that particular story, however short or long. It could be for mm -hmm. a corporate profile. It could be for an ad campaign. It could be even for a tagline for a restaurant. It could be so across the board. But mm -hmm. now with the, with, with, with the technological revolution and things like chat GPT, where there are, um, you know, such easy solutions to writing copy, whether it's your resume, whether it's a description for a podcast, or whether it's even an essay mm -hmm. for a school paper. How do you feel that words are being perceived? Um, it's really, that's a really interesting way to put this question. Obviously, there's a lot of conjecture in my industry about you know, are the robots coming for us? Are we all going to be out of a job? That sort of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. But the the perception of words, I think it's a really uh, insightful way to ask the question. I think that there are 
there are a lot of people who look at what a copywriter does and sort of think about that as like an add-on. It's like, oh, you know, if we have time, we'll we'll do it. But when that same person actually like works with a copywriter and gets an understanding of all the research and psychology and analysis that goes into writing it, they just kind of develop a bit more of a, a respect for the that process. Um, in terms of AI and, you know, all the tools that are, you know, all over the place right now, I definitely, there's definitely a place for them and I use them in my own business. Mm. Um, but the, I use them more as a, like as a research tool, right? And and the thing that as a copywriter that that I can bring is that human touch, right? So, mm. I mean, there are, there's all kinds of, I was seeing like an ad the other day, a job ad for like a no, like a prompt engineer for um, ChatGPT that pays $500,000 a year. And I'm like, listen, you sure, like I would love somebody to have that job, but I'm just, I'm not concerned that I will then be out of a job because there's just so much more that a copywriter can bring to a job than just like sort of spitting out the words. I'm sure I didn't answer your question, but I, I, I've always had a very strong affiliation for words and a strong connection to, um, you know, why this word and what does this mean? And, you know, listeners, we just recorded Sundeep's, uh, an episode of my podcast with Sundeep. And you were saying when we were recording about how you used to you know, hear words and write them down and sort of want to know more about that. And I really, really resonated with that because, I mean, there's always going to be people that don't care about words, that don't think it's important, but there will always be people who are like, no, I know that this matters. Mm. And I do, I think, I think having a human being write your copy will eventually be like the premium product, right? Yeah. And you know, the thing is, um, I, I grew up in India and there was a huge emphasis in my generation, my parents' generation of speaking um, English, especially. And the emphasis mm-hmm. was on learning the language well, uh, speak the mm-hmm. Queen's ling- English, right? So, of course, mm-hmm. um, writers like P.G. Woodhouse and um, that you know genre of writers were really sort mm-hmm. of revered. And, of course, for all good reasons. Um, yeah. But now there's a huge revolution uh, or a huge rise in taking back the regional languages, which I think in itself is great because mm-hmm. I feel when there is a um, kind of uh, thing of – there is an insecurity of Indians when they don't speak English well and it kind of has a chip on their shoulder of the Indian accent and people are mocked in some mm-hmm. ways. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, I want to think – because some of the best copywriters I've uh, – read about or heard about are the ones who don't really have, um, you know, excellent command over the language, right? They, they might write it in one mm-hmm. thing. So I want to, uh, maybe it's not a question, but it's a thought. How important is it to communicate in the language that you think in versus the language that you've learned? Yeah, so I, um, I used to be an English teacher and I did an English degree at university. And so I, um, you know, I am one of those people who is like pointing, wanting to point out mistakes that people Mm. make. But what (laughs) I've also realized in the past few years is that that is like a bit of a shitty elitist thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if I say I'm having a discussion with someone over email or, you know, online and, 
And my point is so frail that the only thing, my only weapon is to point out that they've used the wrong there. Mm. Like then it's not really, you know, it, it, it doesn't say anything bad about someone as a person if they're not speaking like quote unquote perfect English. Um, and so I, yeah, have really dropped back that whole vibe in yeah, <laughs> the past yeah. few years. But the, I think too, like when I was younger, I worked as an English teacher in South Korea mm. and there were, there was so much anxiety around um, the kids wanting to speak properly, quote unquote, properly. And like, so the little kids would speak freely to me in, in English. And then the older kids, like when they got to a certain age, it was like too, it was considered too shameful because they weren't saying it properly. So they just wouldn't speak. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be like, guys, I, you speak two languages. I don't, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it's just, it's so amazing when, when people have learned a second language or a third language or a fourth language that to kind of, you know, weaponize the idea of like perfect English is just yeah. like, it's just a tool of, you know, the colonialists, really, even the term, yeah. the Queen's English is yeah. like, well, why should we be speaking the Queen's English? Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think that, yeah, that understanding that, you know, people want to be communicated to in a way that's welcoming, inclusive and the way that we speak. And like every big company is writing in a conversational tone now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's from mm. like, you know, you know, the apples of the world to like whatever other big company. That's what we're doing, because that's how yeah. our brains, um, you know, understand things best. And, and that's how we get to know our client and vice versa, how our client gets to know us. It's just speaking like normal people. Yeah, you know, that's the strange thing when there's a certain a certain standard, a certain bar that is expected to be met by everyone who speaks that language. Like now, if I mm -hmm. try to write like a person who's uh, an, an Oxford graduate in, in, in an English major, it's obviously mm -hmm. going to be the, the, the different, right? And maybe good or bad, mm -hmm. I don't know. But with um, the way it's, at least English has sort of progressed and evolved is every country has its own version of English from African yeah. nations to even within America, like a northern, mm. a person from a northern state will have a very different tone from a person in the southern state, mm. like a Texan well, and versus. Sam, I'm, I'm Canadian and it's the same. Mm. Like, you know, we all yeah. speak English, but there's all different you know, regional slang and even like words that we use in Canada that they don't use in America. And, you know, that's what makes us all interesting and different, right? If we're all speaking. Yeah. And that's the beautiful English, part about English be? because it's the unifying language and I feel it's never going to lose its role, but the adaptations mm -hmm. of this language, I think is, is, is perfect, right? Because that's what, uh, I think that's where we were stuck, where we had to speak uh, the, the English that was judged right by the English speaking English, a person from England but clearly now that's changed saying you know what it's fine to speak and that, that, that's what brings your uniqueness out right as a writer as yeah. a speaker as a presenter mm -hmm. is if you can say make peace with that and say okay you know what um, don't demonize English but at the same time mm -hmm. uh, embrace it with what you are comfortable with and not be shy and be ashamed of it I think it gives the mm -hmm. possibility of so much more creative opportunity mm -hmm. Yeah, I always sort of say, like, when people are asking me how they should communicate online or whatever it is, I always tell people that, like, 
Your communication style should tell your ideal clients, you are welcome here, mm. right? So you belong here. This is for you. So whatever it, whatever audience you're trying to appeal to, you want them to feel welcome. And, and you know, that sort of very formal academic language is not welcoming. It's exclusionary. So it's, mm. you know, yeah, we're all, I think, heading in a more productive direction when we when we focus on a conversational tone. Yeah, and the, the thing is, there is one school of thought, which is, of course, maybe where you belong, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, is that words are very impactful, and a word can really shape a decision, can shape an uh, influence, mm. an opinion can also shape a person's perspective. And the other school of thought is words are just words. You know, we use them, and there are some comedians that are like, it's just a joke, it's just words. So mm. how... Um, how would you navigate that? Because in one, on, one, on, one, on one front, you're telling uh, a person that each word needs to be designed in such a way that it tells the message of your uh, journey or your brand or your um, whatever you're trying to do. But then mm-hmm. someone who gets upset by a word could say that word hurt me or it's hate or hate speech. So how does mm. one navigate it's it's a pretty tricky path right like to say in one front oh you know when i write a resume each word means something about what i am and my value to that particular reader of the resume but then someone who's writing something like lyrics to a song will say oh i didn't mean it in that context and i'm going to like you have people taking back lyrics now people asking authors um, or publishers of old authors like roald dahl or say mark twain to say take that out because it's offensive the words but and i just thought about this yesterday when I was doing something like when Mark Twain wrote, he didn't write to offend a reader in the 21st century. He wrote, he wrote what was the, 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 the language of the day, which whether it's right or wrong, is not my place to judge. But how yeah. does, um, how does literature, if you want to call it, or how does words as a representation of literature uh, adapt to today's climate? I think um, it's really interesting because I have been reading Roald Dahl books to my kids and mm-hmm. they're great. And I, I always, and may, maybe I'm the type of person that, <laughs> that is, is too vigilant about this, but if there's something in it, like there's a lot of reference in Roald Dahl books in particular to like people's, the shape of people's body, how mm-hmm. fat they are, how not fat they are, how gross they are. And I, when I'm reading those to my kids, remove those sections because I, do I think that the books should be rewritten? I don't know. Um, But I do think that in each, you know, in each scenario, it's important for, you know, the audience to be considered. In this scenario, I'm reading a book to my six-year-old child and I don't want my six-year-old child to think, you know, in our house, we say we don't make comments about people's bodies. Mm. And so I leave that out because I don't want my six-year-old to hear that and then think that that's an okay thing to say. I also then will have a conversation about like, you know, this is how we, this is how people used to write. This is how people used to talk. These are words that people used to use. And this is, you know, what's more acceptable now. So I, I'm very, um, I, I do think it's important to, when you're communicating, 
And, and I mean, you use the example of a resume. I don't think like anyone's really getting offended by a resume, but if, if, if they saw mine, they would. (laughs) (laughs) If you're communicating, you know, in a way that is hurting someone. And, and if that person that is hurt by that word, you know, is bothered to the point that they're going to say something. I'm very happy for that person to speak up and to to say that they didn't like it and to say that they're offended. Like I, mm. I, I think that the I know there's a lot of sort of like you know quote unquote PC police and everyone you know people are saying well we can't say anything anymore and it's like well I mean people have always been offended by these things but they just didn't have the the power or the self-confidence or the strength to say anything. Mm. I think like, it's also okay for people who have always felt, you know, marginalized or whatever by that language to now say, I actually don't like that. Like, you know, the initial communicator makes that person uncomfortable and it's okay for that person to make the communicator feel uncomfortable back. Right. That's like, that's what discourse is, right? That doesn't, if someone says that word offended me and then I'm like, oh, you're, you know, you're offended by everything. Like that's just, I mean, it's just not true. It's gaslighting, but it's like, if you're willing to put something out there, you do have to be open to like the discourse that's going to happen. And with the democratization of information and communication, like so many more people have, you know, the ability to speak up and be heard. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to have those checks and balances in place. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I think, you know, if you're willing to put something out and you say, you know, I stand by this as my creation, as my piece, then you should be willing to be criticized for it. But my my, my worry or my, my, I wouldn't say concern, but my question, I'm questioning this thing of denying or protecting too much because, you know, there are people now saying you have to put these kind of textbooks in, you have to take these textbooks out, you have to teach a certain curriculum, which is inclusive and diverse. And I think, you know, there is, again, no pros and cons, but the... Oh, yeah, there's there's lots of pros and cons hmm. to, you know, I used to be a teacher and yeah. it's it's important for people to see themselves represented it's important for history to be told properly Mm. right so you know I live in Australia I'm Canadian but I live in Australia and you know only in the past few years have we started telling the truth about colonialism and what happened here right Mm -hmm. and and that is important and and is it okay to like whitewash Australian history no I don't think it is Mm. So it's, yeah, the, the, there are very important pros and cons, I think, to to that type of of um, curriculum. Yeah, because I think, you know, what's happening, um, of course, as I told you, in India now, there's a huge um, call for pride in your own language, which is great, right? Like, I yeah. think there are some great mm. creators in, in every uh, regional language, and we've got plenty of them. We've got plenty of languages. Mm. But what I've noticed is happening as a result is earlier English was the bad guy, right? Like uh, the the city-born English uh, medium educated person was seen as, oh, the oppressor. Like, um, you know, where I wouldn't say it's so drastic, but there was a kind of, I wouldn't say like like a grudge held against someone like me because 
I, I'm, a, I'm a minority in India, like where I think in English, I've, I've gone abroad mm. to study, I speak the language relatively okay. And now it's the, 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 the majority are these people who uh, present, they create, and it's great for uh, diversity of content, originality of idea, uniqueness in, in, in creative expression. As a result, what I've noticed is that there is this 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 jostling for my language is not better than yours, but needs more visibility in some way. And like I live in the south in a state called Karnataka, where the language is Kannada, and a lot of people, including me here, don't speak the one of the the the, the official languages, which is Hindi, which is spoken quite widely across mm. the country. And as a result, mm. people in Karnataka are saying, "Oh, we need to take." take back Canada and make sure Canada is more visible and why, why should we speak mm -hmm. Hindi? So mm -hmm. just as an example, while there is so much more diversity, there is also this kind of uh, in rivalry within the space. So just to put that on a global scale is, yeah, while English now was the bad guy, eh, and I, again, it may be not so, so drastic and so dramatic, but there is mm. this interfighting going uh, when you do go too specific to your region, there's always this kind of like retaining my identity and I'm going to be uh, this. I'm not going to speak that language because it doesn't represent my culture. And I hear to take that thought forward, like Indian uh, children who were born in America, who are American Indian um, are like, oh, I don't like white people. I don't like not even white. I don't like American people. And I don't know what that means because American mm. is so different. Right. Uh, there are mm. I don't like them wearing a sari and dressing up as Indian because I feel it's cultural appropriation so it's so much noise when you try mm -hmm. to go down in that rabbit hole mm -hmm. I mean it's so much noise but it's also like is it is it a problem if if different groups are kind of wanting to stake a claim mm. like is that a problem for who is that a problem for you know, if yeah, there are yeah. smaller groups that haven't previously had a voice and now yeah. they want to say something, who is that a problem for? Well, I don't think it's the voice that uh, needs to be. Uh, I think, yes, of course, where groups that didn't really have a, uh, representation need to be heard, which I think is just fair. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about on a on, on a social scale. Um, what happens when everyone's just trying to protect their honeypot, right? Saying my language is better than yours. I'm I'm, I'm only going to. I just feel it's not criticism. It's I feel that the cohesive kind of fiber gets worn out. Yeah, I don't know. I I just, I mean, I think there are, um, you know, sort of standards or um, ways that we communicate. Um, I think those the ways that we communicate are created within systems, mm -hmm. and those systems are made to benefit powerful groups. Mm. And I, I just don't see a negative side to people who are not in that powerful group having more of a voice. So yeah, yeah. yeah, there's more noise, but also like we're all adults and like anybody who doesn't want to engage in like that specific debate about like whether this language is better than this one, like they can choose not to do that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just, I will, I will never say that like, no, I think we need less. I think we need fewer voices because I just I, I, like that's what got us into this situation, right? Yeah, so yeah. 
I'm I'm on board with um, people kind of understanding their background and understanding language in a way that they understand it and and really uh, resonating with that and and to the extent that like it's acceptable for them online to communicate in that way great if it's not acceptable to communicate if they are working like in a business you know to communicate in that way that's I mean okay but it, yeah I just I don't know I think it's I think it's all good I think any examination of like well why is this the the language that we all default to and why shouldn't we kind of think about this one more because it's all about like who was in power and who was the person, what language did the people in power speak? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I'm happy for, I'm happy for those discussions. (laughs) Yeah. No, I want to understand uh, what your thoughts are on how we, um, as we go forward with more um, social platforms, social media platforms, communication platforms are being um, absorbed into an offline society where it's almost integral to the way we communicate and interact with other human beings. Where do you see language and communication heading uh, as things like TikTok, Twitter, Insta Reels, Insta Videos, YouTube, Facebook, and more and more platforms like this? And there are also audio platforms, which are like uh, Fireside and um, Mm. Clubhouse. How how do you see language, communication, um, and maybe even the written word adapting to these things? I think that, I mean, people, I mean, for for one thing, I think it's very difficult because there's going to be a lack of nuance when we're trying to do everything in so few words. And there are some subjects that really require understanding of nuance and understanding of background information. And you can't just kind of like watch a TikTok about every subject and then kind of have an understanding of that. But the other thing that I have really noticed is like people, because they are trying to be so succinct on these platforms, are thinking about what is it that I want to say? Like, how can what I want to say get attention? Which words am I using? So, So I think in a sense, it gives some more power to like those, you know, individual catchphrases or, or those hooks and those tools that we use to like grasp people's attention, which are, you know, on a lot of topics, I think, you know, is, is useful. Um, But then on the other hand, like, you know, there's so much nuance around even the discussion that we've just been having that like, you know, if, if somebody took, 140 characters out of something you said and 140 characters out of something I said with no context. It's just so easy to misunderstand either deliberately or not deliberately what either of us was trying to say and use it as a weapon. So it's yeah. it's really hard because we are in this, in a text-based society, like much more than we ever have been, which I think makes it, um, puts a lot more emphasis on the way that a person writes and the way that a person communicates. Um, But then there's also that thing of like, you know, so many things are being taken out of context deliberately or not deliberately to try to make a point. And it like, I feel really torn about it. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that's my, 
problem context being taken out right because i've mm. seen i've 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 read some tweets which are hilarious right because the fact that someone's mm. put in all those um extra words into just a few mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it 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 really brings out a certain style of writer and i think they really shine uh and even someone who makes a well structured well scripted youtube video or even maybe a quick reel it's it's a, it's a gift it's a talent mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. my uh, problem is um is that to to for the, those who can't do it uh then they kind of try to get the sensational aspect of it they try to go for the negative yeah. they try to defame they try to kind of do things that get attention which is always not mm-hmm. good the subtlety goes and i feel a lot of mm-hmm. times uh content which is subtle uh doesn't really get picked up and then you just get yeah. exposed to one kind of uh content or one kind of narrative which ends up leaning more towards the negative or the dramatic or the sensational mm-hmm. which is not reflective of um society and then people get carried yeah. away thinking that's the normal which is not really good mm-hmm. for um people who are viewing it constantly because it's not one story it's constant reel after reel it's constant a uh, video after video yeah. which is the same and that's when you think oh that's how society is that's how everyone hates everyone everyone hates this kind of person yeah. and that's that's not that's not the reality right yeah yeah i know i agree it's really tricky like i mean it's again that democratization of information is useful and like i want to know you know on certain subjects what lots of people think and then but like this is probably you know hypocritical but then there are times when i'm like i want to know what an expert thinks i yeah. don't care what like a yeah. person who does not know what they're talking about thinks and it's that thing of like you know the news n- now and i'm thinking in particular of like right wing news is like well we have to hear everyone's point of view and it's like but some point of view points of view are just like oh i've read two articles and some are like i've done an entire phd on this thing and 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 it can be really difficult i think now to know like is this blogger an expert or yeah. is this physician an expert like and so what people are doing is like they're deciding who they're going to trust which in one sense is like i guess that's kind of good but then in another sense it's like yeah but i mean this you know if this person really doesn't represent like you know what the research shows or it, so it's just i i agree with you it's like it's kind of good there are good things and bad things about the way we're communicating online it's scary yeah. and also empowering i think and my concern is not for someone like you and i who are uh, probably uh, also connected offline right we have people we turn mm. to for one on one face to face conversations we know where to yeah. get what information from maybe at at mm. some point we also are susceptible and vulnerable to kind of mass um kind of you know algorithmic assaults where mm. we only kind of get mm. one kind but i feel we have a little bit of the maturity the emotional uh, strength to kind of say okay this is where and why they're saying this but for the generations like your 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 children and my my 
daughter who, who doesn't fortunately uh, have a phone yet. She's only 11 months and I plan to keep it that way for many years. That's but, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, for them, it's, this I'm is, this get is her a phone when she turns one. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> she, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course. Yeah. I mean, in the sense, I, you can't not be in reality with what everyone else is doing. But I, I mean, that's, I think, a conversation which we should have uh, after this point, which I, I, I feel when this is the avenue of content being consumed for these generations is it's very hard. I mean, they, they, that's like, and I don't blame them because that's what everyone their age is doing, right? It's the tablets, the phones, the computers, it's the YouTubes, the TikToks. And when that is the, and I want to rope in the other thing that you uh, spoke about before we started recording is when mm. content is getting shorter and shorter, when everyone mm. is demanding your attention, uh, this, this concept of attention deficit is, is really, really a big thing. I mean, when everyone is uh, trying to cash in on the attention economy, how does someone even try to stay focused on a thought, on an idea, on an emotion, on a feeling for longer than a few seconds? So is this an ADHD question or is this a question about... I mean, I just want to sort of tie it in. I mean, we can talk about, uh, we can take it in the direction yeah. of ADHD after, but. Um, I mean, I think the thing, the thing is that like, there is so much out there. And one of the things that um, where we need to be, we need to be teaching and we are teaching kids in schools um, is about sort of, being critical, critical thinking, right? So if I've got a child and he's going to be 11 in May and we're very like locked down on phones and, and all the things and mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't, he's not allowed to have any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I know that eventually he will need to, but yeah. what we have tried to do in our house, like he's very into reading. He's very, and and I'm a big reader, And so in our home, we read and talk about books and, you know, we, my husband and I foster that interest that he has, he loves Greek mythology. And so when there's something that he's into, we, we help him by buying him those books or, or whatever it is that, that he wants. And so I'm hoping, like hoping that this uh, understanding that he has that like, he can have interesting things in his life that aren't on a tablet or on a phone. Yeah. I just, I really hope that that will kind of continue through his life after, you know, he'll be starting high school next year. And yeah, I am like, I am quite addicted to my phone and I'm nervous about, you know, the, the prospect of giving my children a phone, but Mm. I just kind of hope like, you know, the, the discussions that we have in the house and all of kind of the work that we do to try and help our kids to know as many important things as they need to and how to keep themselves safe. I hope that that will be enough, but like, who knows, right? Like it's just even uh, you and I are very similar ages. I'm 41, you're 40. Yeah. We both, you know, came of age in a time when like there was no Facebook, there was no internet and you could do stupid shit and no one would know about it. And like our kids are just not in (laughs) that. Yeah. Like we're the last generation really 
to have had that. And so, yeah, it's just a matter of like, have we protected them enough with like the things that we've provided and the support that we give them and the conversations that we have in our house Mm -hmm. that like when things come up, they will have the critical thinking skills to go, is this real? Is this a good idea? Is this kind? Is this fair? And then kind of you know, make a decision. I don't know though, but you'll have, you'll have to wait for a few years and I'll get back to you and let you know how it's going. (laughs) Yeah. I need some tips as well, because I think, yeah, you're right. Because it's, these are the things that uh, we in some way didn't really grow up. Right. I think many of us yeah, did, and I'm not speaking generally for everyone our age, but um, I think kids, this generation, your son's age in some way are forced to grow up quicker. I think they can be like, so it's really interesting. So I live on the South coast of Western Australia mm-hmm. and, and Perth, Western Australia is the world's most isolated city. Yeah. And that's I where I did my first and only stand up festival. <laughs> in Australia. Did you? Yeah, I did the Perth fringe. Um, oh, fun. I was at the Perth fringe a couple months ago. Um, but so we live 450 kilometers South of Perth, right? Okay. So it's very far from the whole wide world. And our kids go to this like school in the woods and like they do, you know, they learn the Australian curriculum, but they are kids, right? They're Mm. kids. And our son also um, is on the autism spectrum. So there's like that other kind of layer of like that emotional, he's very intelligent, but he's less emotionally mature than his peers. Mm -hmm. And it's just my goal to like preserve that as long as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah, like I know kids, they, they do grow up, they are growing up faster. And that is, I think, really scary for parents and the, the ramifications of that can be just like so wide. Right. Yeah, and you do want to protect him on these forums, right? Because not everyone is sensitive or they don't want to give time enough to understand his, um, uh, to, to, give, to, to be, even, be even aware of his emotional needs or his emotional mm. ability to process stuff. So, yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, it is yeah. uh, in some ways a kinder world, but it depends where they are exposed to um because if it is schools, people are more aware. Like I notice now people are much more accepting of uh, disability or people, mm-hmm. who, uh, who, parents who in, in India who have children on the autism spectrum, they're able to talk about it more. They're able to share mm-hmm. their concerns and, and get support. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. again, where do you do that? Because if you go uh, to certain forums online, the intolerance can really shatter your confidence. It can really... A re um, make make you rethink your faith in humanity because it just. But I think too, like those critical thinking skills again really come into play here, right? So yeah. if I had a child, I used to teach middle school, mm-hmm. and so that was like grade seven to nine. And if I had a student, and like they found some forum online that that made them feel bad, it's like you know, what, what, what I would focus on is sort of like, does this make you feel good? What are you getting out of this? Like, are these people experts? And those real critical questions that we use to analyze any source online Mm -hmm. as an adult 
are things that do need to be taught, right? So, and and I, like when the kids start using the computer and, you know, start getting into the wide world of the internet, but the, those questions of like, whose voice is this? Are, is this a trustworthy voice? Yeah. Is there yeah. any reason why I should believe what this person is saying? Um, how does that, what this person's saying compare to like what uh, about other things that I know, right? Like, yeah. so when you kind of, push kids to ask those questions. How does this content, um, you know, interact with the things that I know to be right or true? And if they don't, then it's like, it's okay. The internet's so big. You don't have to go to that site anymore. And like, we can find something better. And so those, I just think critical thinking is so important. And and those skills that like we're we learn like in English classes or language classes um, as a young student, I just say English because I grew up in an English speaking country. But like yeah. those analysis skills of like, who is saying this? Why should I believe them? How does this gel with other things that I know? Is there someone else I should ask? Like those skills and questions are so important for kids who are like getting onto the Internet, but even just like going out into the world. Why should I trust this person? What do they know? Mm. How do I feel in my body are just so important for, for kids growing up. Yeah, well said, I think. Yeah. The, uh, you, you know, Martha, I want to ask you, um, you know, as uh, someone who talks about this uh, and someone who deals with it, um, can you explain to me what exactly goes through a person or goes on in the mind of a person who who's dealing with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder that's ADHD right sure do can i just tell you a little bit about ADHD before yes, please. we start yeah um so ADHD is uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder it is a, a recognized condition in the diagnostic manual. Um, And there are three kinds of ADHD. There's inattentive type, hyperactive type, and combined type. Mm. Um, So you can have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder inattention type and not be hyperactive. And so this is one of the reasons why people are saying like, this, this name is not adequate, like it's not the right name mm-hmm. um, for this condition, because the, the truth is we don't have a deficit of attention. We have too much attention and less ability to regulate that attention, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, I was only diagnosed with ADHD when I was 39, mm-hmm. um, and it's, I mean, I can't speak for everyone with, with ADHD, but the the uh, how can I describe it like so you you, having too much attention means like if you're sitting down to do some work at your desk and you're like okay I want to do these three things um you are attentive to every sound every there's like hypersensitivity around like your body so like this morning I spent 15 minutes like taking this tag out of my jumper because it was like I could feel it too much like I'm Mm. very aware of like the way you know the way things feel of noises of light um and then also just really easily distracted so if I get an if I'm working and I get an email and it's like oh it's Sandeep and he wants me to confirm my podcast interview I will just go, oh, I better do that now because 
I don't want to forget because I forget things all the time and I have a lot of shame around forgetting things all the time. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I'll go to respond to you straight away. And then I'll be like, Oh, the other thing I wanted to do is like make that dentist appointment. Cause I really don't want to forget that either. And then, then it's like two and a half hours later, I haven't done the things that I want to do. Yeah. Maybe I've done some other things that I needed, but because of the kind of, um, you know, the expectation of like what a quote unquote productive day should look like. I feel awful because I haven't attained the goals that I set for myself in the morning. So ADHD is like this lifelong, I call it death by a thousand cuts, where you have like these mini failures throughout the day. And then those, those failures kind of Um, and I, my husband gets mad when I use the word failures, he's like, they're not failures, but that's just how I imagine it. Right. You have these mini failures throughout the day. And so then when, you know, my kids get home from school, I have sort of less in the tank, less resilience in my bowl of resilience to cope with the demands of parenting. Um, so there's like that focus piece and then there's the executive function piece, right? So Executive functions are things that our brains do to help us negotiate all the things that need to get done in the day. But it also includes things like um, emotional regulation, right? So if I've had a day where I haven't gotten the things done that I really need to do, and after like 39 years of living with undiagnosed ADHD, I have internalized shame around that. Mm-hmm. I am much more likely to you know, get really upset if something goes wrong, like in the evening. Right. And, and so emotional regulation, um, there's also like issues around sort of rejection sensitivity and all of these things are are part of ADHD along with the other executive functions, things like task initiation, task completion, prioritization. Um, and so it really, the, and this is like, you know, in reference to our conversation about detail and nuance, right? This is a very detailed (laughs) explanation of of ADHD, but it's just easier for people to go, oh, so that means you can't focus. And it's like, well, yeah, I can't focus, but it's just like the, the ramifications are so much wider than like, oh, I can't focus. So I didn't get this thing done. It's not it's, because you don't have the attention. Into, yeah. Mm, yeah. It goes yeah. deeper and, than and that. I like, yeah. And ADHD, people with ADHD have what's called an interest-based nervous system. So if I am interested in something, I can hyper-focus on that thing and like be so much more productive. But we can't always be doing things that we're interested in. And so that is, it's it's really hard. And people will say, well, yeah, everyone's better at doing things that they're interested in. And you know, yes, they are, but not everyone has like a different brain composition wherein it makes it almost impossible for them to focus on something that they're not interested in. So it's, I spend a lot of time kind of explaining this to people, um, particularly after I did my TEDx talk Mm. uh, and I'm happy to do that. Um, But it's, you know, it's our, I think it's our, um, we're very tempted as, as human beings to just kind of go, Oh, so that means this about you when it's just so much broader than, 
than that one thing. I'm sorry if I really went off on a tangent there. No, I think from what you told me, it sounds like almost uh, you have this constant fear of missing out on an activity. So you try to do every activity and the next thing you know, you're overwhelmed because you can't get any of the activities done. Mm. And there's a real hypervigilance that comes up because you have messed things up in the past because there's like time blindness with ADHD. And also we kind of do not recognize the passage of time. So like even getting ready to do the podcast, I was like, okay, I'm going to finish the thing that I'm doing at 12. Then I'm going to have lunch and I'm going to do, I need to set my stuff up. And I ended up rushing and I was like, oh, why do I do this? And my husband's like, well, this, this is what your brain does. Like you... You know, so trying to just not demonize yourself on myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And go like, oh, well, I just this is what I do rather than like, why do I do this? Why can't I do this the normal way? Um, and that's something we connected with uh, when we recorded mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, it's it's that, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the power of shame is so strong. I, I'll give you an example. It's it's it, a, a few months, a few weeks back, beginning of the year, um, I was getting ready to go to the driving range and I had get ready had a lesson so i had a quick shower and the shower in my bathroom has a sliding glass door right and i showered and toweled off and i hung the towel and i just without you don't think about opening the shower do you just slide it right but clearly there was Mm. some defective wheels on it or i hadn't checked or Mm. i didn't see that it had broken the entire shower Mm -hmm. door shattered and (gasps) and yeah it just like it's a stuffed glass so it's designed to shatter on impact the entire door fell shattered um piece of glass took off my fingertip and I'm standing there. <gasps> yeah, it, it, yeah, it was, I mean, the, 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 so there's this massive sound of shattering glass. Uh, I feel a yeah. sting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm butt naked. I'm yeah. bleeding. And the first yeah, thought this, that this went, story's got everything by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, and the first thought in my head, right. All this has happened. The first thought is not get out of there. Make sure you're safe. None of that occurred to me. The first thought is, shit, you broke a glass door. And I felt mm-hmm. ashamed because mm-hmm. that was my thing I've held on to for years. You've broken something. You, um, because, you know, I couldn't see. I would drop stuff. I would walk into stuff. I yeah. would, and yeah. that, and I was just like, are you crazy? But the next thing is like, dude, you're naked. <laughs> Fortunately, that was mm. the second thought, you know? So then how do you, like, if you don't mind my asking, how did you get out of that without stepping on the broken glass? Yeah, that, I'm surprised. You know what happened was, um, so the, the, the glass was shattered across the gla- uh, across across the floor. Uh, yeah. So I Were you did, home alone? No, fortunately, the people at home, but I, I didn't call out until I got out of the bathroom. So what mm-hmm. I did was, surprisingly, I had the presence of mind not to run and panic. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, uh, put pressure using my feet. Fortunately, I think this is one of those skills I kind of, my body's developed over the years without me knowing yeah. is I could sense mm. how much pressure I'm putting. Uh, so I kind mm. of stepped on the glass without stabbing myself in the foot, reached over right. to the hook and I, I put on uh, my boxers and then went to the sink and there was a piece of glass stuck in my finger. I sucked it out, washed it, but it didn't stop bleeding. Then I opened the yeah. door and I called out for my mom. And that was, again, the kid in me going, Ma! <laughs> and, yeah! And I was just dripping and there was just blood everywhere. It was, it was messy, oh but goodness. I mentioned it to you. Yeah, it was. And then I was like, uh, oh, I'm going to m- miss my golf lesson, which, of course, I'm going to yeah. miss my golf lesson because my part of my fingertips gone off. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. So just to give you, the, yeah, yeah, the example was more from the shame point because I was like, oh, I broke glass. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that, like, it's really interesting you say that because I was reading a book recently called uh, Your Brain's Not Broken by Dr. Tamara Rossier. It's a very good book. Mm-hmm. Um, and she explains, so low frustration tolerance is also a trait of people with ADHD. And so she was explaining how, like, if you're, if I'm in the grocery store, I hate looking for things and therefore grocery shopping is like my nemesis. If I'm in the grocery store and I can't find a thing that I'm looking for, my brain, because of like, you know, I have a less functioning prefrontal cortex, my brain goes straight to a fear response Mm. if I can't find that thing. So it's like, what does this say about me? Even if like, you know, they don't have it. Like it doesn't say anything about me, but my immediate thing is like, I can't find this because I'm shit at looking for things. I can't find this because my brain is this. And and like, it just goes straight to this fear response. And like, if your brain thinks you're afraid or your body thinks you're afraid, you become afraid. And it's like, and so then you have this like over the top response to the frustration. And that was such a really interesting explanation to me because I'm always like, well, why do I get so distressed about like little things? And it's that, it's that, you know, it's, it feels like a threat because I, you know, and like, predicting that like I'm the one that has messed up and and it feels like a threat to my own safety and like it sounds the same as like when you broke the glass like oh my god I broke the glass I'm in trouble it's Mm. it's very similar so we have these I have these like responses to frustration that are just not reasonable because my brain and my body kind of takes that as as like something to be afraid of and I, I could really connect with you on that point because it's, it's it's so many things that I do as well, which uh, starts with frustration and then escalates to, mm. I wouldn't say panic, but a sense of anger, mm. like rage, right? Uh, yes. With yourself mainly, but it also comes out and people around you are like, why are you so angry all the time? And it could be like if... if um, earlier, like if I'm if we're going out as a family and I get, get ready late, I've taken a little longer to get ready. Then mm-hmm. there's this, oh sh, I I I I fucked up, right? Or like now yeah, when yeah. my wife and I are going out and my wife is late, I'm just like angry with her because you know mm-hmm. we, it's perceived as doing something wrong, and she's like, chill, mm-hmm. we're going for dinner. It's supposed to be a good yeah. time out. Why are you? Yeah, like it's just us. Relax. Yeah, <laughs> but there is this I'm constant saying. zero to hundred frustration to just rage, which. Fortunately, I'm able to kind of see through it in, in certain moments, but the, 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 the default setting is default, uh, is, is frustration to, mm-hmm. um, like it literally is, you know, if you can't do something as trivial as, um, where's the charger or where's mm-hmm. something that, you know, and, and that's why I think I've become like everything needs to be in a certain place because if mm-hmm. I don't find it there, I feel this reaction response starts triggering off in my body yeah. and mind. Mm-hmm. And I, like, and that is, it gets harder, right? When you move in with someone and when you have a toddler, yeah, like for the toddler to understand, oh, dad's frustrated because like, he's looking for this thing that he put here and like, you were innocently playing with it. And, but like, it's really difficult 
And as a, as a parent, like I find myself kind of explaining to my kids, like, you know, oh, I, I, I think I'm really feeling frustrated about that because of da, 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 da. but they're kind of old enough to, to understand that. But yeah. if, if you didn't have this level of self-awareness and you're like losing your shit when like your little daughter moves something of yours, yeah. that then puts your shame onto her. Right. And yeah, so it's just so important, like that you've kind of done all this work because yeah it's it's also like the thing uh martha is to add to your thing it's 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 when you uh, you feel like a failure for no reason i mean for for everything feels like Mm -hmm. a failure like if you if you uh if you stumble because you didn't see a step or like you know my my wife and i go to a hotel and she walks ahead two steps before realizing off and sometimes she's like i genuinely forget that you need help i'm like great right we really yeah (laughs) (laughs) i i I feel like rage building up right i mean i'm i've worked on it and this thing but I I I totally you know recognize where you're coming from and you're right like mm-hmm. you know if if I you know if, if if like for instance I bump my toe because there's a side table there it's almost like this yeah. in, like how dare you do this to me this this yeah. the injustice yeah. of it all it, and yeah. it's it's crazy how the escalation mm-hmm. is like literally in a in a millisecond like you're frustrated next thing you're just raging at the world going people are such assholes yeah. no one understands yes. me you know? oh my god I'm constantly like I hate everyone. <laughs> and it, and it, like I get real um like I work online right and yeah. but I honestly my husband thinks that I have like bad like vibes around electronic stuff because mm. stuff just like doesn't work and yeah. I get so angry about it and like but it's that thing of like I'm hyper vigilant I want to do everything perfectly because I regularly mess things up and if I mess this up, it says something about me as a person. Yeah. And that's just like something that I'm really trying to kind of let go of and doing therapy and really trying to get to the bottom of that. And, and I mean, it's not all about having ADHD. It's like also the way you were raised and the the world that we live in and, and all of that yeah. stuff. But just kind of understanding like, okay, you know, if I want to not get ADHD burnout at the end of this year, I need to put some things into place to protect myself from that. And, and, and like doing that, giving myself the grace to do that rather than just going, no, you should be able to do this, 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 and this, like you should be able to do all the things, but it's like, well, I can't. And it's really tricky. And, you know, um, when for various reasons we we seem to have arrived at similar kind of responses to life and our environment and i remember <laughs> like 2018 19 when i went to this person i i told you about the the the, the israeli guy uh who mm. um helps people with these um states of mind he said you know you're mm. in constant you're in a constant state of high alert you're waiting for the next threat you're mm-hmm. waiting when you're going to fall you're waiting for when someone's going to say something to hurt you or you're waiting for uh, yeah. the next situation where you don't find uh, something that you put or you're not in control of the situation yeah. so you're constantly on edge and that's just and when something does happen when someone does say something mean or when when you do trip you're just you mm. you've expended all your energy in anticipation that you just collapse either in rage well, and, or, and you're like i knew it like I yeah. knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Right. And, and it's that 
I don't, I don't know if I believe in like manifesting. There's a lot of talk about manifesting. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Like if, <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Good. But when, if you are constantly like this could go wrong and I could fall or I might drop this or that. And, and it's like, well, I mean, is it more likely to happen if we're obsessively, you know, cause I feel that sense of hypervigilance all the time. Right. Yeah, I'm constantly flexing for that punch, which wrong. never comes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally, so you just end up, totally. as you said, you just get tired by the end of the day, you're just exhausted in your own yeah. mind and body, you know, like, and then you're like, yeah. oh, okay, tomorrow, let's start again. Who's going to say this shit? Who's going <laughs> to, but that's why when he said, yeah. trust in yourself and let go, figure out the stuff that you can do, stuff is that, that is in your control. And, the, and you've just got to let mm. go because um, the thing you said that you, now you have, you have children and I have a, a little mm. baby. And the only thing that helps me get through is that, you know what, don't take yourself too seriously. Your shit ain't that important. Because that yeah. way, yeah. it's not that big a deal if you don't get things done, if your thing doesn't get recognition, if you don't get the attention you need, or you don't do something properly, it's fine. Mm. But you know what? I also, I, I, I really take on board what you're saying, but I also think that like we are each of us entitled to our experience, yeah. right? So if we're kind of, if, and I, I'm not saying that what you're saying is dismissive at all. But if I'm kind of saying to myself, don't take it too seriously, it's not that big of a deal. It is a bit like, I mean, it, it could be a big deal to me, right? So yeah. I think we're we're all entitled to our experiences. We're all, it kind of comes out when like people talk about, you know, trauma or bad things that have happened to them in their life and people are like well someone always has it worse like you could be dying of this or Absolutely. you could be da, 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 da. and it's like yeah I'm not though and so but like what I'm trying to do is like deal with the situation that is happening in my life and I just don't it's not productive to me to go like well, just think somebody else could have it have it worse right I think yeah and I totally uh get that but mm -hmm. I'm not uh saying uh that um, you shouldn't give yourself that because I think that's absolutely important. Like you, that you, you, it's mm. your life. You are allowed to enjoy certain things, get angry at certain things. And there's nothing wrong with anger or irritation. And you shouldn't mm. say, you know what, I'm going to back off and only be in a state of Zen because that's what suits my family yeah. and people around me. That's impossible. Yeah. But what I mean by yeah. seriously is if, if you give too much attachment to who you are, um, based on that activity, like in my case, if you say, you know, if mm -hmm. I play a bad round of a uh, bad session at the driving range, it doesn't mean I'm mm -hmm. a bad person. So that's exactly. what I mean by seriously. It's okay. It's a driving range. I would love to play well, mm -hmm. but some days there yeah. are good shots. Some days there are horrible shots, but I'm not going to go home crying and feel like a failure yeah. or feel like a piece of shit yeah. because of that. And that's what I mean by that. Like, yeah. uh, that, that's what I meant by seriously, because of course there are some things I will get angry about, angry about, and that's everything I've, experience and you've experienced in your life has made you who you are why should you deny yourself that right yeah and I, I i i knew that that's what you were saying but i always just like to let people know yeah. you know that it is it is okay to you know feel strongly about things and and i think you are kind of what you're alluding to is like there are things in the world that like might feel like shitty like having a bad day on the golf what is it? The golf links. The range. Yeah, the <laughs> range. Or, yeah. No, no, but even yeah. someone saying um, something mean, and, and why then, should I take it yeah. on the chin, right? I can get upset. And exactly. You can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Now, I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. I always just, you know, I always just like to let people know, like, you know, you are what happened, what is happening for you matters. And yeah. I'm not suggesting that you are suggesting otherwise, just like to. Yeah. No, that's lovely. No, I, 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 I like how this is progress from chat GPT four to where we are right now. Yes. It's brilliant. Yes. Now, so uh, I think, you know, we, 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 we've had such a lovely uh, conversation and without knowing it before we started that we really, and this is why I love this show and getting mm. people on the show is because you think a person so different from you because of their geography or their cultural context or their or, or the place they were born or the, the color of their skin or their gender but mm. the human experience does bring people together if you give it a chance i think so i think so and and like just to get back to what you were saying about you know the way we communicate right like if you and i followed each other online, we might kind of go, oh, I don't know how much I would have in common with that person. But yeah. because we have had the nuanced conversation and we have found the common ground, we, yeah, can I, we understand like that we do have lots in common. And it's like, how do we, how does that happen online? I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, it's just. <laughs> Very difficult but, to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I that's why I love long form, right? Because I mm. we spoke about your profession, but now we've gone way beyond that. And mm. if it was 10 minutes, I doubt I'd even get to know who you are beyond your profession mm -hmm. or your professional expression of work. Mm -hmm. no, it's amazing. Thank you, Martha. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, so where can people, uh, you know, if they want to get your help with... Uh, I think you have you you run a thing called Word Candy, right? Where you help people yes, yeah. with your copywriting. My business uh, is, yeah, my copywriting business is called Word Candy, which is wordcandy.com.au. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also on LinkedIn under Martha Barnard Ray, and I'm on Instagram at wordcandycoms. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also working on a book. Um, ah, lovely. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited about that. And I've got... Because of the TEDx talk, I've had a lot of people kind of getting in touch about that. Um, and so I've kind of got a little bit of a, a list for them of people who want to stay in touch about ADHD stuff. Um, so, yeah, if anybody wants to know more about that, you can just ask me about it and I'll probably ask you for your email address and put you on the list. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's been really, really nice talking to you today. And you, Martha, I really appreciate you taking the time and opening up and sharing your story, your journey and your thoughts and opinions. So thank you. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.